Well, good evening, everybody. If I've not had the honor of meeting you, my name is Pastor Dave Brock. I'm the executive pastor here at Rock of Grace. And as you guys are coming in, I just got a few announcements before we start tonight off. Uh, first things first is, obviously, we wouldn't be here for a passion service if it wasn't for what's coming in a few days, which is Easter Sunday. And we would love to invite you to come and worship with us at either of our campuses. I know I've seen people here from Kinsman and from Cortland. It was so awesome to see so many of you from all locations. At Kinsman, we are having two services. Our 8.30 service will be a family service, just like we have tonight. So we won't have any children's ministries, but instead we're going to have a family service at 8.30. Or at 10.15, we're going to have our typical normal Sunday service celebrating Easter. And at Cortland, our typical 10.15 service as well. We would love to see you there with Pastor Jordan and myself at both campuses. We're not both at each campus, but we're not that talented. But tonight is truly a special night where we remember what Jesus did for us. And this whole night is reflective, but we want your little ones to have something to do because we recognize that I'm not as fun as I once used to be. And uh, that's the truth. So if you didn't grab a packet on your way in, uh, there's a door over there. You can see it by our ushers and a greeting team over there. There's a packet with some crayons. You can go and grab it for your kids. If they complete it, they're welcome to go get a second one and just pretend like they didn't do the first one. That's absolutely okay. We won't tell Christine. She's not in the second row at all. But also, if your children do get restless, you also are invited to join us at our family lounge. It's right over here to our right. The service is being streamed right in there. You're welcome to have them in there the entire night. Just hang out. You have to stay with them, though. That's the one contingency. Uh, but once we begin, don't worry about standing and sitting. Tonight is a service where we get to sit and ponder and bask in the presence of God as we remember what happened so many years ago. Restrooms, if this is your first time at this campus, are right across the hall. I would like to invite you all to also put your phones on Do Not Disturb. Uh, this way, you know, we can stay. I'm going to do that right now. Um, we're all guilty of it. Or you can change your ringtone to uh, say amen. That's also the dream. Then we won't know. But regardless of that, we really hope that God speaks to your heart, your heart tonight. Would you all bow your heads with me as we pray and remember this week so many years ago. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for all that you are going to be doing tonight as we sit and as we stop and as we remember the things that led up to your moment on the cross. God, we know that you died for us, that tonight we can remember the steps, the time that you had as we continue to move into the season of Easter. Jesus, be with us tonight and speak to our hearts that we can receive all that you have in store for us. Amen. So we're going to begin this service by going forward in our timeline. When I was praying and asking God, you know, what point in this text should we start the story? I was ironically taken to the moment after Jesus rose from the dead. So Mary had found the tomb empty in her relation. She ran and she told the 11 disciples... And they, too, discovered this phenomenon. Many of them were hiding in fear. As you know, Peter and John ran to find out the same empty tomb. And we're going to talk about Peter a lot tonight. We're going to talk about his pain, his regret, his emotions. And Peter, too, ran to the tomb to look for Jesus. Meanwhile, two men were walking on the road nearby, and suddenly Jesus shows up. Scripture says that very day, 
two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is the conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them said, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened in the last few days? Clearly they didn't recognize him, right? He said to them, what happened? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was prophet, he was mighty as a prophet in deed and word before God and before all the people. Our chief priest, they condemned him to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it is now the third day since all of this took place. Some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and they did not find his body. They came back saying they had seen visions of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman said. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, you're slow to believe all that the, the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things before entering into glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then he said something remarkable. All the prophets in the law, all the prophets in the law point to him. Can you look at that picture and imagine that? Imagine you're looking at this man you think is the gardener. And he says, I'm he. Jesus is the son of God who came to save us. He is the very message of God. So now let's back up in our story early in Jesus' ministry when a well-known woman full of many sins barged in to a home to worship Jesus. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, learned that Jesus was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, and she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and was standing behind him at his feet weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and kiss his feet and anoint them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was really a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is that is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he had canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then he turned towards the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I entered your home. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. This woman knew how much she had been forgiven. She knew there was something remarkable about Jesus, for in the eyes of Jesus, she felt unconditional love, a kind of love that she had never felt before. Until this point, the people looked at her and only saw a problem or an opportunity to use her. In the eyes of Jesus, she saw true love, true friendship, and all the pain of the regret was washed away by simply being in his presence. The religious leaders judged her based on her passionate worship. Jesus boldly defended her. Maybe she worshiped with such emotion because she saw his worth. Do you see the worth of Jesus? Have you experienced this kind of unconditional love and mercy? Do you realize how much you've been forgiven. He is the King of Kings, the King in the line of David. Yes, he is absolutely without sin, the perfect Son of God, the spotless Lamb of God who came to save us. This kind of anointing was powerful because she was anointing him for his burial prophetically. She could see his worth. And in my mind, it took me back to King David, right? Being anointed, being set apart by God to serve a certain role. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he is called the son of David. He would rule on David's throne. This is spoke of a lot in Revelation, right? That he would come and rule forever, rule and reign forever. And just like David won victory for Israel, Jesus wins victory for us. David went battle after battle after battle without ever, lost, ever losing a battle, and Jesus never lost a battle. When David wrote this, he was prophesying about Jesus coming in the future. It's a well-known passage, right? Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, not knowing he was prophesying about Jesus. Having a table, serving his very enemies, the people that he called friends and followers, he says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When he wrote that, he had no idea. He's prophesying about Jesus. 
the moment Jesus would be seated with his followers in the upper room, let's sing this song, Sweetly Broken, as we think of Jesus being the bread of life, being willing to be broken for us. I cling of its suffering I dream of its work I do see Surrender 
Jesus had to have so many emotions that were just running wild within him during this time. And the Bible makes it clear that he was fully God, but also fully human. A miracle that only God can do. He had emotions like grief, fear, sadness, joy. All the things that we feel, he felt. On the days earlier, he cried with Mary and Martha at the loss of their brother Lazarus. They cried tears of joy as Lazarus was raised from the dead. The emotional roller coaster couldn't have been any greater than that night in the upper room where Jesus with the other disciples were discussing the matters of that day. And some of them were completely oblivious to the gravity of the moment that they were now sharing with Christ. Some of them were there, they were looking, they were vying for position, arguing about who's gonna be the greatest when Jesus seizes control and takes over Rome. But Jesus made them an incredible promise instead that day. He used the language that was only used in weddings in the region of Galilee. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will not drink of this fruit until I come for you. What you have to understand is that language that was only used by the bridegroom as the wife. The bridegroom, after he committed himself to his wife. It would be like you and I saying for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Jesus was making a commitment to his disciples and therefore to us that he is our bridegroom and that we are his and that he is 100% wholly committed to us no matter what happens. That is unconditional. It is unbelievable, uncontainable, unfathomable love. I want you to listen to a song in a moment and watch the video. It's a song that's written from Peter's perspective. And as it plays, picture yourself being Peter, knowing that Jesus believed in you, knowing that Jesus walked on water with you, grabbing your hand as you fell. knowing that Jesus told you that you're the rock on which I will build my church, a stable foundation of faith, and that your confession would be so powerful that the gates of hell could not stop it. Yet, in a moment of weakness, acting like I didn't know Jesus, 
After all, if Jesus was beaten, mocked, crucified, wouldn't you be next? After all, if you're Peter, you're now the most outspoken one of the group. You're afraid of nothing, right? You're not called the rock without reason. So as you listen, imagine yourself being Simon Peter. I still recall the room where we were gathered And as you talked We hung on to your every word You stood and wrapped a towel around your Put a bowl and knelt down at my place, and I cried, but only you, only you, only you are truly worthy, only you, only you must you wash these feet. Only you. 
John 18, verses 1 through 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kedron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with the disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back, and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those who you gave me, I have lost no one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it 
and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Following from a distance, we're going to pick it up in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. And since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door, afraid to be recognized. So the other disciple was watching nearby and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you are also one of his disciples, aren't you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers made a fire because it was cold. They were standing nearby warming themselves. Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. And as you know, Peter denied him three times. This is right after committing that he would never deny him, that he would never betray him at their last supper together. This garden that they were at is called Gethsemane. And that means a place where the oil or the olive was crushed so that oil could come out. And Jesus was crushed in that garden. And now Peter is knowing this, knowing that his friend had just sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And he's hiding in his fear, denying even knowing Jesus to a young servant girl. I can't imagine Peter's feeling of guilt and regret and shame, knowing that my Lord and my Savior, just like that song said, my Lord and my Savior believed in me, took a a towel and wrapped it around his waist and served me, forgiven me time and time again. When I was at my lowest place, he loved me. But now when he is at his lowest place, I have abandoned him. When people were sentenced to be crucified, they were forced to carry the crossbeam. It was part of their execution. The beam is estimated to be between 75 and 125 pounds. It was attached by wrapping around the rope at the elbows and laid across their back. The beam was laid on Jesus, but in his broken, weakened condition from the horrific flogging that he had to endure, he staggered and he fell under the weight. A man from Cyrene named Simon was passing by and the Roman soldiers forced him to carry the cross of Jesus the rest of the way to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Even though Jesus struggled under the physical weight of the cross, think about this, he also carried the weight of all sin. I was describing this to someone this week saying, this is God's wrath on all sin of all mankind. So can everybody just put your hand on your heart for a minute and maybe just say this with me, this is my sin. He's carrying that weight. And yet Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. 
This is the kind of rest that takes away the shame, the regret, the sin. So do you have stress? Do you have regret from your sins and poor decisions and selfishness and times when you've just blown it? Let the blood of Jesus wash you clean tonight. Let the blood of Jesus wash you clean tonight. His blood was shed to give you freedom and joy to replace sorrow with gladness. Let's sing this song. Victorious are we now. 
Jesus was tasting the bitterness of death so that we wouldn't have to. When we look at the first covenant that God made with the people of Israel, we see that the high priest would enter the holy place and offer a sacrifice, a lamb. The lamb's blood was then sprinkled on the mercy seat using a hyssop branch. But why? This was yet another prophecy fulfilled. For David had prophesied in this very moment in Psalms, saying, They offer me sour wine in my sorrow. While Jesus hung on the cross, sour wine was given to him on a hyssop branch by the Roman soldiers. This was a literal picture of what took place in the temple when a sacrifice was made. The priest would sprinkle the lamb's blood over the mercy seat to atone for sin. This was a picture of what Jesus would do for us. Jesus is our perfect lamb. He shed his blood on the mercy seat of the cross so that we could have mercy and exchange our sorrow for gladness, our sickness for healing, our punishment for blessing. Jesus did what we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus was crushed so that you would not be crushed. He was crushed by the wrath of God, God's wrath on sin. All punishment for sin was given to Jesus. This is why Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suddenly felt betrayed by God, knowing that he had turned his face away. He was rejected by the Father for moments so that you and I could be accepted by the Father forever. He was burdened down with shame and torment, the mental exhaustion of every sin, every murder, every affair, every abuse, every lie, every deceit, every slander, every single sin. Jesus felt the weight of it all on the cross. And why? So that you wouldn't have to. He was given sour wine so that you could be given the oil of gladness. Can you imagine the disciples that night? Only hours before, they had all wondered, is it I that will betray him? And certainly in his lowest moment, they had all deserted him. Even Peter, with all his inner conflict, followed him at a distance. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified Jesus. A sign was fastened to the cross announcing the charge against him. Ironically, it read, the king of the Jews. Just like David and his men, they won battles so the people of Israel could enjoy freedom. And Jesus won battles so you could enjoy freedom. Freedom from oppression and depression Freedom from guilt and shame, and freedom from all regret. 
David won the victory for Israel, but Jesus has won the victory for us. He is King Jesus. had claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history There on a cross they made for sin For every curse his blood atoned Final breath and it was finished But not the end we could have For the earth began to shake And the veil was torn Which sacrifice was made As the heavens
can you imagine being Peter and looking over and seeing Jesus, your Lord, your friend, hanging on the cross with that sign, King of the Jews? Can you imagine that guilt? Knowing you had just lied to three people about even knowing the man. You heard the rooster crow three times. And just as Jesus told you, you sold him out. Not for silver like Judas, but to save your own skin, to keep your reputation. And we've all denied Jesus in one way or another. And that's what's important about a night like tonight is to realize that. Peter had followed Jesus as his king for three years. He spent every waking moment with Jesus. Jesus prophesied that the Jews would reject him, that his very own people would not accept him, even though they were given the chance to receive him as Messiah and king. It had to hurt, right, to see the disciples reject him. It had to hurt the disciples to see Jesus, their Lord, their friend, the healer that they've just traveled with for over three years, be beaten, be flogged, knowing they had betrayed him and left him alone. They must have thought, I am no different than Judas. Friday night ended, Jesus was gone, and Saturday morning came. The Apostle John tells us that the disciples didn't know what to do. Their master, their teacher, their friend was gone. Did he fail them? did they fail him? What went wrong? In fact, some of the disciples were so discouraged, they gave up. They, they went back fishing. Peter was among them as they fished all night, catching nothing. Can you imagine the silence in that boat all night long? Just a night of silence and regret. Peter and the others had simply lost their faith. I can only imagine the sense of emptiness and confusion. The question for all of us tonight is, do you believe? Do you believe the promise Jesus gave to his disciples that he would rise on the third day? Do you believe what Jesus said about the temple, that it would be destroyed yet totally restored in three days? That he himself was that temple, the very dwelling of God upon the earth. Do you believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of Isaiah 61 and his prophecy? Do you believe the promise that he made to his disciples and the promise he has made to each of us that he can make all things new? Do you believe Jesus can take your mourning, grief, and tears, and fears and turn them into gladness and joy 
in love. We can read the prophecy ourselves from Isaiah in the fourth chapter of Luke. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to open the prison doors to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Then Jesus said, these astonishing words, today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. Some became furious, others mystified, and still others were excited. So we have three options. Option number one, we can ignore it. Simply do not deal with the reality of your sin. People know that by going to church to hear the word of God, that their heart might be open to the reality of God. When that happens, they, they might become aware of the reality that they are selfish or prideful, even sinful to the core. So. They simply ignore God altogether. Option number two, we could reject Jesus. You can clench your fist and demand proof, insisting that he's a fraud, and agree with the Pharisees that he deserved to die for making such bold claims to be God. If you do this, you too have pride, despite the fact that you may be unaware of it. Pride blinds us to the truth. And the truth is, it was our sin that put Jesus on that cross. So you can ignore Jesus, reject Jesus, or option number three, you can accept Jesus. You can accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We can admit that we sense God's love and realize the reality that he's inviting us to friendship, even into his family. You can respond to that knock on the door of your heart and let him come in to be your Savior. You can admit your sin, believe in your heart, and confess Jesus truly is. When you do this, you're agreeing with Scripture that makes it very clear. We cannot simply better ourselves with good deeds, good thoughts, that in fact, we can't behave better in order to enter God's heaven. Jesus did for us what the law could not do and what we could not do for ourselves. We're all guilty of sin and in need of a Savior. We cannot earn our way to heaven and we cannot do enough good deeds that would outweigh the weight of our sinfulness. We cannot better ourselves. We all need 
for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. In us who walk not according to the flesh, to make that so clear tonight before we took communion and I'd invite you to go ahead and take that package that you were given on the way in and take the bread out and before we receive communion I want to give you that option this opportunity to accept Jesus as Lord If I could revisit these three things that my dad just shared, that you can ignore God, right? You can, maybe you're invited here tonight and you you kind of feel God speaking to your heart and you could say, well, I just, that's for them, it's not for me. Or you can reject God and, and literally say, no, I don't need him, I don't have sin. Or you can do what most of us in this room have done and said, I need a savior. My sin put him on that cross. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? If you're in that third category and you can feel God speaking to your heart, And maybe you haven't been in, in church in forever, or maybe you've considered yourself religious, but have just never felt it like this. Something new is going on in your heart and you realize that you've never given your heart to Jesus. Maybe you've considered yourself religious. You've walked into church buildings, but never, you, never said, Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sin. If that's you, would you raise your hand? And we're going to pray a prayer of faith together. Well, everybody go ahead and look at that piece of bread. When Jesus had that meal with his disciples in what we call the upper room, He broke the bread and he told them that it was a symbol of his body being broken for them. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember this, come back to this. What we in the church world called a a sacrament, right? Do this often to make sure you don't forget. Because our propensity is to forget and to get into habits and routines. But maybe tonight God wants to make it fresh again what he was willing to do. God the Father was willing to send his son to be beaten and mocked and crucified for you. Would you just hold that bread up and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for being beaten so I could be healed. 
once you've thanked him, go ahead and partake. You can grab that grape now. Next, he took the wine. He told them this was a symbol. I was telling Pastor Dave in the section that he had read that I was reading this book about this moment and it really struck me that I I never knew this, that I want to reference something he said a minute ago that was unique to Galilean weddings where the bridegroom would say, I am not going to drink of this cup again until I come back for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that was just like me and you putting a ring and saying, hey, I'm committed to you. Me and you, we're going to be one. So I want you to hold that grape and think about that. Jesus was saying, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. And when I come back for you, we're going to have a wedding feast. This is a foretaste of the party, the celebration that's going to take place because you're united with him all because of the price he paid for you. Can you just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for paying that price for me and for shedding your blood. God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that your word says in Romans that while I was still a sinner, that you came, that you loved me. God, that you saw me for my potential, that you knew I would be yours, that you committed to love me despite everything that was wrong with me. Can you one more time just say thank you and then partake? I want us to sing this song, How Deep the Father's Love, because I want to take just five minutes and think now just not about Jesus, right? But the fact that the Father sent His Son. And maybe if you're a parent or a grandparent, you can think through that lens. God sacrificed His only Son so that Jesus could be your brother. love for us how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch's treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turned wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to
I know that it is finished I will not boast in anything No gifts, no power, no wisdom But I will boast in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer But this I know with all my heart His wounds have been my us to go back to Romans 8, one of my favorite passages, and I want to read from 31 down to 35, and then we're going to close with that song that we heard earlier and sing like maybe Simon Peter would have said, only you are worthy. Romans 8 says, what then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And I feel led to reiterate something. Who can condemn? It's possible that in a service like this, that tonight you were maybe thinking to yourself, well, I've been thinking all week long, you know, I don't even deserve to be here. And well, Pastor Jordan, if you even knew what I've done in my life, if you even knew what I experienced this last month, if you knew what I did this week, right? This, the reason you would hear that is very simple, church. That's called the accuser of the brethren. That's the reason why there are, are people that have given their hearts to Jesus when they were in youth group or when they were in VBS and, and they have this thought, I'm gonna go down on Good Friday or Sunday or or a passion service and the accuser of the brethren will say, they won't accept you, you're too sinful. But how many are so thankful that despite your sin, Jesus was condemned on the cross, right? That's what Romans says. He took all your condemnation. So if you're sitting here tonight and you're feeling heavy and you're feeling like, ah, oh, I believe Jesus forgave me, but all day long, I just feel that in my spirit. In fact, could you just bow your heads for just a moment? Can I just ask you to slip your hand up if you've been dealing with some shame this last week? Can you just slip your hand up? I'm not gonna invite you forward. Yeah. Come on, just be real with the Lord right now. Yeah. 
Can we just look up here? Can I tell you guys something? The voice in your mind that would tell you you don't belong in church, that's Satan. He wants to stop you from coming to this table and remembering that Jesus took all the punishment for your sin. All the punishment. He took the nails so you and I don't have to. Can we actually stand up and we're gonna sing this song that we heard earlier. Only you, only you are truly worthy. You can save the lost and the hurting. Your love has turned my life upside down. Guys, it's noted that Peter was crucified upside down. And I was talking to this this songwriter who wrote this song and he said, I was doing some research and it said that that those were his last words. That Peter's last words were only you. Only you are truly worthy. Guys, let this sit in your spirit right now. They turned his body upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. But yes, I will die for him. They took that cross. They turned him upside down until he died. And his last words were, you are worthy. Can we sing this tonight? Only you are worthy. Only you, only, only you, only you are truly worthy. Only you, only you can save the lost and hurt. Your love. Your love has turned my So all my days are gladly poured out. Can we sing it again? Only you. Only you. Only you. Only you are truly worthy. Only you. Only you can save the lost and hurting. Your love has turned my life upside down. So all my days are glad. Just take a few moments. Just think about the cross. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. That cross that you carried, Lord, it was mine to bear, Lord. Jesus, when you were beaten, it was so I could be healed. 
when you took punishment is so I would not be punished. When you felt the shame of your father looking away, when you felt rejection and separation, Jesus, it was also that I could know him and be unified with him. So Jesus, thank you. We love you. Can you just say we love you? You just worship him. Jesus, we worship you. There is no one like you, God. There is no one like you, Lord. Only you are truly worthy. God, we give our lives to you again in a fresh way today. You are worthy, God, of every moment. God, you're worthy of us dying for your name. of every waking breath, Lord. And God, I just want to say a collective forgive us when maybe we, like Peter, would have denied you at our workplace. In the company of friends, God, when we didn't speak up. Can we just say a collective thank you for that forgiveness, Lord? commit ourselves fresh to you, Lord, today, that you are worthy of our commitment to you. You are worthy of not following from a distance, but following you up close, of announcing and declaring your name and your salvation. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Listen, I am so thankful that you joined us for Passion Service tonight. Sometimes it's just good to slow down and take a fresh look at scripture, isn't it? Listen, we have Easter services like Pastor Dave mentioned. And if you can't remember those times, you can go on our website, rockofgrace.org or find us on, on Facebook. Thanks for coming.